Welcome to Frictionless Marketing, an exploration of how modern marketers are building their brands, reaching their audiences, and thriving in this post-advertising world. Lisa Caputo is the Executive Vice President and Chief Marketing and Communications Officer for the Travelers Companies Incorporated, where she's been since 2011. Lisa held previous positions at Citigroup and spent over 10 years in the public sector, serving as Deputy Assistant to President Clinton and Press Secretary to First Lady Hillary Clinton through President Clinton's first term in office. In this conversation with Lippy Taylor CEO Paul Dyer, Lisa gets into how her political background gave her a major leg up in communications, as well as advice for young PR professionals and the importance of understanding the relationship between content and context. Without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Lisa Caputo. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us. We're looking forward to speaking with you here today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm delighted to be with you. So I, I thought we would start um, maybe by by talking about your current position. You're currently a chief communications and marketing officer at Travelers Insurance. Uh, in many companies today, those would be treated as separate roles: the comms function, the marketing function, having you know being different entities, different leaders. Um, I'd love to hear you talk maybe a little bit about um, why they are together and how that works, having them uh, you know integrated. Uh, travelers. So can we maybe just hear your thoughts on that? Sure, I'd be delighted. And in fact, you know, in a lot of companies, they are together. Um, it, it's it's certainly a trend, you know, we've seen uh, across uh, companies in corporate America. Um, but certainly for us at Travelers, having the functions combined really does help ensure a very strong, coordinated and integrated strategic approach across all the disciplines so that, you know, the management across all of these different functional areas um, is is much more um, aligned around messaging, uh, a coordinated activation of message, um, collaborative teamwork across functional areas. So you can have cross-functional teams that incorporate external and internal communications, executive communications, advertising, branding, uh, media, planning and buying, sponsorships, uh, consumer insights, market research, community relations, as well as, you know, customer experience. All of these different pieces position the brand, right? And they must work in a coordinated and integrated way. And you definitely want to have that consistency of message and the activation of that messaging well-coordinated so that you're optimally positioning your company and your brand. And so that's why we have them uh, integrated together under one leader. Um, you know, fortunately, I suppose uh, I've worked in these various areas throughout my career. So um, I understand um, the different uh, disciplines and am able to bring a management approach to to an integrated function and division at our company uh, that I think um, allows for um, a, an optimal effect uh, with positioning the company. 
you know, it's interesting. I mean, as part of this conversation, I'm, I'm hoping we can hear a little bit about your experience in um, the political sector as well. But, you know, you're not the first person that we've interviewed on this show who has that history in politics. And then it brings this really integrated mindset of sort of treating the brand like a campaign and or, you know, like a candidate, you know, and really having all of these things working together, um, driving a, a common message or a common platform. Um, so I guess I'm curious, I mean, a little bit leading, you know, it's a little bit of a leading question at that point, but, um, you know, is, is, do you agree with that, you know, in terms of, you know, is this inspired in some ways by your experience in politics and, you know, could you, you know, maybe talk a little bit about those experiences? Sure. Uh, it's a great question, Paul. And absolutely, it's been inspired by my experience in, in politics. You know, politics taught me a lot uh, about communications, about community relations, about, um, in many respects, call it constituency experience or customer experience, right? About insights and research um, and about marketing a brand, right? A brand meaning a public official. Uh, or a candidate. Um, so, you know, I think that, um, you know, certainly that experience um, th throughout the years when I was a very young person, um, you know, you had to, in politics, be a juggler. You had to be able to pivot from issue to issue and from discipline to discipline, from branding to research to uh, uh, PR, right? You, ha you had to, to be able to do that. And you had to be able to bring them all together around a particular initiative. So if a candidate had a message of the day, right, that the candidate was going to promote, there were a series of activities on a campaign trip that were going to be done by the candidate, by the candidate's spouse, by the running mate, by the running mate's spouse, right? And all of that needed to be coordinated. And hence, you can see the, the wisdom, right, of bringing everything together so that, again, you have that consistency of message and the proper activation through repetition of the message through the various principles who are carrying the message and through the events that they're doing. And so, you know, it's a very disciplined approach that I think comes out of the political world um, that that allows you to kind of merge all of these pieces together. Repetition does reinforce a message and collaboration and teamwork around all of that are critical. And, you know, having a a, a public official um, it is really like having a brand. You're building a brand. You're you're messaging around that public official and that public official's positions on issues is building a, a brand. And you know, in an ideal world, you you'd love to have a, a candidate or a public official who's a great communicator, right? Because it makes your job a lot easier. So people are like brands with a purpose. Candidates, public officials are like brands with a purpose. So um, if you have a leader, a public official, a candidate who inspires others, it does make your job uh, easier in, in many respects. So you're correct in posing the question. These are lessons I took from my experience in campaigns. 
both at the national and local level. And then through my experience on Capitol Hill um, and at the White House um, and, and bringing all of these various functional disciplines together to, to create you know, an optimal approach to what I would call um, you know, positioning and messaging of, of a candidate and a candidate's position on the issues. And, and just so that everybody who's listening knows just how expert this opinion is, can you maybe just give us a little bit of a rundown of when you say you were at the White House and you were out Capitol Hill, like, will you explain to everybody what you did in politics? Sure. Um, so um, I have a master's in journalism, uh, and I always thought that I would go off and, and become a, a television journalist. It, it's my passion. News is my passion. I love I love the news and I watch it with a critical eye. And, and I suppose that's because I was trained uh, as a journalist. Um, and as part of my master's program at Northwestern's Medill School of Journalism, I had to spend several months in Washington as, as a reporter in the uh, Medill News Services Washington Bureau where I where I covered Capitol Hill for one of their client stations. And that is when I really saw the legislative process up close and personal. And I thought to myself, boy, if I could go on the other side and be one of these press secretaries that I'm dealing with as an aspiring journalist, I would be ultimately a better journalist having had that experience. So I literally got a job through a blind ad on Capitol Hill and uh, worked as a press secretary and federal grants coordinator to a Michigan congressman for two years um, in the House of Representatives, uh, and then moved uh, uh, to uh, my first presidential campaign, which was Michael Dukakis, the former governor of Massachusetts. Um, I was asked to um, go up to Boston and work in the campaign headquarters as the national issues press secretary. And that was the first real taste I got of national politics. Um, and it's intoxicating, it really is. But I, I learned so much again about message discipline, um, about uh, the importance of research, uh, the importance of uh, issues management, crisis management, all, all of these you know critical factors. After Governor Dukakis lost uh, the election, I, I came back uh, to Capitol Hill and was fortunate to receive uh, an offer to be uh, uh, a senator's uh, press secretary, uh, Senator Tim Worth for, from Colorado. Um, and, and that was a magnificent experience as well, uh, because Senator Worth was really just so great on a variety of issues. He was such a great advocate for 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 women. He was a wonderful environmentalist. He worked across the aisle with the late Senator Jack Hines on uh, environmental issues, and and that was just a an enormous experience for me. In that I I learned so much about how the legislative process works, not just in the House but also in the Senate, and how bipartisanship can work to get things done for the betterment of people. Um, and it was during that time that I was contacted by the Clinton campaign to see if I'd be interested in um, helping on, on the vice presidential search. Um, there was a group of people who were um, 
putting together um, dossiers on potential running mates. And so I, I helped out with that and then was asked to kind of handle all of the media relations at, at the Democratic National Convention when the running mate would 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 be announced, you know, shortly beforehand, and then I would build the press operation and kind of hand it off to the um, to the running mates uh, press secretary. It was at that time that I was approached to be uh, Hillary Clinton's press secretary during um, the '92 campaign, 1992 campaign, and so um, I met uh, Mrs. Clinton uh, in a hotel room. Um, at the Hotel Intercontinental in New York, and we just hit it off. Her roots are in Scranton, Pennsylvania, so are mine uh, in northeastern Pennsylvania. And I think, you know, from there, a, a, a friendship and a bond was born. And um, Governor Clinton won the presidency. And uh, again, I was fortunate enough to be asked to to join um, President Clinton and Vice President Gore in the White House um, as the first lady's uh, communications director, where I had responsibility for the, you know, being the chief spokesperson for the first lady and also the first family, right? That meant the president's family um, and the first lady's family. And it was an extraordinary ride. Um, I really, um, I learned so much. Um, in many respects, it was baptism by fire in a good way. Um, but I, I, I really, learned so much about communications, about marketing, um, and lessons that I was able to leverage uh, into the private sector. Um, and so, and did so, um, I worked at uh, the CBS Corporation, I worked at the Walt Disney Company, I then worked at Citigroup and, and started their women's financial services business. And over time, came to oversee the global marketing and corporate affairs for Citigroup, ran all the crisis communications through the financial crisis, and then was lured to travelers by our late chairman and CEO, Jay Fishman, um, with whom I had worked at Citigroup. Um, and I, I've just been blessed to have incredible bosses um, it, it, throughout my career. And you know, I, I just couldn't be more happy at Travelers, I work for a tremendous CEO, Alan Schnitzer, who was groomed by Jay Fishman. It was a textbook succession when um, Jay died, and and Alan's just been incredible in the way he stewarded the company. You know, certainly through COVID, it's been a, an incredible lesson in leadership for me to watch because that is not easy, right, to lead a Dow 30 company through. Um, really a global crisis. Um, and we didn't miss a beat. And I'm really proud of that. Well, and you were at Citibank during the financial crisis, you know, the, the 2008 financial crisis as well, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. I was. Um, I ran all the crisis communications through that crisis. Um, I set up a war room, again, a lesson that I learned from political campaigns, where I brought together various disciplines, you know, three, three, four times a day, we would have a stand-up meeting, you know, we would, we would have government affairs, community relations, investor relations, you know, all the constituencies would come together in a room um, multiple times a day. And, and we would have checkpoints, you know, to make sure um, there weren't any crises brewing anywhere, um, but also to make sure, again, 
We had alignment of message in terms of how we were positioning Citigroup during all of that. And th there were highs and lows. And then to make sure we were activating our messaging appropriately and consistently through various channels to various constituencies, whether it was government officials, regulators, community groups, customers, um, uh, employees, and so on. Now we're we're obviously we're conducting this conversation right now over Zoom. Um, we're not in person, right? Um, but we're also not facing a crisis. Um, so I'm curious your thoughts. You know, this great debate that's raging right now um, with that. With that approach, the war room, the great integration of all these different teams, would that have been as successful using the technologies we have today and the way that we use them remotely today, you know, with a hybrid or a, a fully remote um, model? Or do you think it really is important in those circumstances to have people together physically? I, it's a great question. You know, I think it can certainly be done uh, uh remotely, right? I mean, Zoom has been an incredible tool, right? That we've all embraced it during COVID and businesses were run over Zoom 100% remotely. And it's, it's like you're together. I mean, the technology is so good. It's like you're together, even though you're not in person. And so the collaboration is fantastic. And you know, you're having all of the important conversations, you're just not physically together in the same room. Do I think it's always optimal to have people, you know, together in person? Of course, you, you can't beat that human dynamic, that kind of in-person give and take, but you, you can get a, you know, a lot of it over Zoom. Um, I still think it's, it is optimal to be in person, but, um, Yes, you can you can run a crisis over Zoom. I mean, think about it. Companies were doing that during 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 COVID. I mean, COVID put a lot of companies into crisis mode, you know, and they were running crisis management over Zoom. Yep. And, you know, many were incredibly successful at it. Yep. You do have to wonder if this era of what we call giving grace might um might no longer, you know, might not always be um, the situation, but in, you know, I agree with everything you said. Um, it's also interesting, you you used a word earlier and I've heard you use this or read, you know, read of you using this um, in other contexts um, was that of a juggler. And you've used that uh, now to refer to your role in politics, but then also the role of the CMO as being a juggler. And I, I wanna kind of unpack a little bit. There's a, a natural tension between being a juggler and bringing focus, you know, and you brought you you mentioned focus with repetition, right? Reinforcing a message, repetition, you know, et cetera. Well, that's focus, and then juggling is in many ways can be at odds with that. Um, how do you how do you make those judgment calls about like what is too much? You know, we're in this omni-channel world; everybody wants to do all the things. What is too much? When do you focus, and when do you juggle? Well, so let's talk about focus. I mean, as a starting point, if you're in, you know, what I call a big M marketing role where you're overseeing a variety of functions in a division as I am, or if you're a CMO only overseeing marketing, you must understand the, the corporate strategy, 
and the business strategy. And when I say the business strategy, I'm talking about the multiple lines of business that exist in your company. You have to understand those business strategies and what is marketing's role to help deliver against those business goals. That to me is where your focus has to start. Then it becomes, you know, devising marketing and communications and customer experience plans that are going to help the businesses and the company overall achieve those business goals. And so that then is where the juggle comes in. So if you're focused on business strategy and then you've got your strategic plan from a marketing comms and customer experience standpoint to help uh, uh, achieve those business goals, then the juggle comes in of, okay, what levers do I pull at what at what time, right? And that's that's where I I, I see the the juggle. Um, and that's where, you know, the ability to have knowledge and experience in these different areas is important because you know kind of what levers to pull at 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 what times. I think also you critical to your success is having that strong internal network, right, with your business colleagues, your business heads, and then also your your external network, be it with reporters, uh, other marketers at other companies that, you know, may be going through similar challenges and issues that you can uh, call upon, um, community organizations, uh, uh, government officials, etc. So the network is is really, uh, really important. So that ability to pivot, which I, I, I learned, you know, working in politics and government, you know, that experience of pivoting from issue to issue and being nimble and being decisive is really important in the business world. I think secondly, you know, crisis experience these days is very important. And, you know, you've heard the phrase, never let a good crisis go to waste. I think there's a lot of merit to that. Um, And, you know, companies want people who are battle tested. And, you know, certainly when you work in political campaigns and and you work at the highest levels of government, you are battle tested. And there are intuitive lessons that you learn, perhaps that you don't realize that, that you're able to apply in the business world. So that's a long winded answer to your question. But I, I think that the focus is on you know, strategy and path forward and what are the business goals? And then the the juggle comes in to what are the levers in the marketing comms and customer experience plan that you're going to pull and at what time that that that's where the juggle is because your emphasis in different areas is gonna is gonna shift. Well I really appreciate you know the the amount of emphasis you've put here on experience right and having having been the person that lived it um it does feel like for a while now in our industry we've experienced much more of an emphasis being placed on technology enablement mm-hmm. being data driven you know those and you've obviously mentioned the importance of research in your experience and your more formative years in politics and those kinds of things but you know if you think about the role of subject matter expertise, intuition, wisdom, you know, having experienced things. 
versus you know having all these tools that at the click of a button can tell you what a you know certain audience is thinking or etc like you know what i'm curious your thoughts you know on how important is it to have um experience versus um the very best cutting edge data and technology another great question i think first you know great marketing great communications and great customer experience all starts with understanding your audiences and start that and starts with insights insights is the nucleus from which everything gets constructed it's the core of all great marketing communications and customer experience programs and so you you've got to have an understanding and an appreciation for research um and insights um you know Second, you know, you need creative ideas, um, those ideas that are going to build an emotional connection with your audiences and engage your audiences. And, and third, you can't develop these programs without robust measurement that is ongoing. So you have to be able to understand in-market optimization of the programs you're managing. Um, and, the, and the beauty I think of marketing today is our ability to capture and analyze data at every touch point. Um, and this has freed up marketers to experiment more, to test ideas against each other, to optimize channels, to ensure that your investments are delivering the results that, that you're looking for. Um, I think that um, data is really critical to helping us determine what to do and data shows us how effective we've been once we do it so that we can continue to optimize against the success we're looking for. So we need the creative skills to inform how we market, but we need the data skills on how effective that, that creative is performing. And certainly, you know, I think experience is important, but having that knowledge base and, and um, um, breadth of, of, of context around data and analytics and marketing technology is a must-have in this day and age, a must-have. And it's, it's an interesting word you chose there because, you know, I've heard you say in the past that content may be king, but context is queen. And it does feel like in your answer there, experience and data are both providing that context experience and data are but you know content only matters if if it's relevant to your audience so that they'll engage with it and and take action and and you know there used to be the traditional marketing funnel right um where where customers you know would come in and you know go go, go through the funnel today i i equate it to a bowl of spaghetti right P people can come in at any point in time in the customer journey and so you can't be entirely relevant if you don't understand the context in which the audience is receiving the content. So it's it's everywhere. It's at any point in the customer journey. So you got to create content for every stage of the journey of the customer. Um, and um, it's really important to be able to understand that and include experiences where the customer may be engaging, whether it's a prospective customer, you know, doing research around a particular product or the onboarding of a customer uh, or 
Um, you know, in our instance, what's been their experience with a claim, if they make a claim, um, what are the behaviors they're exhibiting? So you have to have real-time data to be able to optimize against those experiences, see where you're falling short, see where to improve, where are the gaps and, and how do you elevate it to a you know, most optimal delivery of, of a customer experience you could be proud of and that makes your customers um, happy. I have to say, I mean, it might look like a bowl of spaghetti, but hearing you explain it sounds very clear and concise. Um, so one final question, just recognizing we're coming up on our time here is, you know, Lisa, for people who are listening to this and might someday want to see themselves in a similar seat to the one that you sit in and what advice, and obviously one of your pieces of advice, it sounds like would be to work in politics, but, um, what other advice would you give to them? I think, um, you know, a couple of, of thoughts, um, you know, first is follow your passion and, and second, be true to yourself. Um, I think there was a, a time certainly where marketers and communicators could rely on creative messaging to succeed, you know, and maybe have some agency management skills and a broad understanding of branding and advertising. But today, if you want to be in this discipline, you have to have an experience mindset. Um, I think that's really important. So you, you have to have a deep curiosity about every aspect of the business and the products the business is selling, the technology behind that, as well as the omnichannel approach as a way of delivering and communicating to prospects, customers, and partners that interact with your brand. So, you know, I think that first, follow your passion, be true to yourself. And third, be experience focused, be customer centric and um, immerse yourself in the insights, technology, and data that will enable you to both position a brand and deliver uh, an optimal customer experience. Well, that's an important reinforcement of your point earlier to make sure you really understand the business strategy and the role of marketing in supporting it. Um, so Lisa, thank you very much for sharing all of your insights. Um, this has been great and uh, we really appreciate you um, spending some time with us here today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Paul, to join you. And thank you for the conversation. Your questions were fabulous. Um, and um, delighted to be with you and delighted to come back again. This has been fun for me. All right. Thank you, as always, for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Frictionless Marketing, why not share it with your friends and colleagues on LinkedIn? Don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Lippy Taylor. That's L-I-P-P-E-T-A-Y-L-O-R. And to learn more about us and our agency, visit us at LippyTaylor.com. Thank you for listening to Frictionless Marketing. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to check out Paul's best-selling book, Friction Fatigue, What the Failure of Advertising Means for Future-Focused Brands. 
In Friction Fatigue, Paul explains to readers why advertising is broken and provides a frictionless marketing framework to help build your brand in an era where advertising is no longer the answer. You'll learn how to protect your business against competitors and lead the pack with fresh marketing strategies that will help you prepare for a future where the consumer rules. Friction Fatigue is now available on Amazon and as a book on tape on audible.com. Thanks again for listening.